You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. I'm sorry, I'm not doing it the wrong way. This is Play by Play Cast, the world's number one sports media podcast. Wait, what? Nobody's fact checking it, just keep going. Here we go. Who the hell is Happy Gilmore? Got all that on camera, right, John? Sure, I did. All right, because the red light was not on. The podcast about play by play broadcasters for play by play broadcasters, hosted by a play by play broadcaster. Oh, you can stick me in some kind of Italian boat because that one is Gondola. Now, from New York. Really? All the big ones are from New York. Your host, Joe Godet. It's still Joel. Yeah, he will not be able to see very well, Cotton. Back at it with another episode of Play by Playcast. Thanks as always for the subscribe, the stream, the download, however you have found this year's podcast. It is a professional development podcast that dives into the tips, tricks, experience, stories, process, and preparations of some of the biggest and best play by play announcers in the business. It's the broad it's the broadcast. It's the podcast about play by play broadcasters for play by play broadcasters, hosted by a play by play broadcaster. At some point in the future. My name is Joel Gadette, the television and radio voice of the Ball State University Cardinals. And we were off last week because I was busy covering live sports, which is a thing that happened in 2020. Uh, wasn't doing play-by-play, but it was awesome to be back out there at the Masters Fitness Collective in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Uh, If you listen to this podcast, you know I like CrossFit. You know I've broadcast CrossFit. The first live, large-scale, in-person competition for CrossFit of the COVID era took place this past weekend in Fort Wayne. Had a chance to go up there for a website called The Morning Chalk Up and uh, shoot a ton of video and... um, do some interviews, shoot some stand-ups, create some content for the web, which was a blast. And, you know, it was interesting because I haven't done a whole lot during the times of COVID. Uh, you know, when, when everything shut down, I pretty much stayed at home. I worked from home. I worked out in the parking lot of my apartment complex, and then I went back into my home Um, I went to the grocery store and that was it for like a couple months. Went back to the gym in June. Um, But even then, like that's the only thing I did. I've been pretty conservative with everything, but went to this event. And part of the reason that I felt really comfortable with it was because every single athlete in attendance was tested. I got tested. For COVID being there. Um, they wiped down everything that was used or touched in competition incessantly between every heat, between every use. Like, I, you could not have felt, you could have felt a little more safe because not everybody in attendance wore masks, like the, the air quote fans, like coaches, supporters, things like that. Like, people, people, there were a lot of very well protected chins. Um, <laughs> but, uh, they had to remind people, Hey, we're in Indiana. There's a state mandate for masks, you know, wear the darn thing. But, you know, anybody that was working the event had their masks on and that's pretty much who I was around. If you didn't have a mask, I kind of was able to keep away from you. It was, it was, it was cool to be around live sports again in a way that felt safe. So I know college football is supposed to be starting, for some schools, not mine, at some point in the next couple of weeks. Um, and I genuinely hope that that all goes off safely. Running across the interstate highway, never a great idea. If you make it to the other side, good on you. Enjoy the, enjoy the ride and the experience. Um, I, it was fun to be around sports again, uh, safe, that felt safe. It was, I mean, they tested, they had over 300 COVID tests for this event. Nobody tested positive. They had one person who tested positive for antibodies. I also don't have the antibodies. They did, they did both, tested people for both. It was, it was cool. Um, It was also like how you replicate that on a large scale. I don't know because they tested everybody when they arrived. They tested everybody when they left. Um, It takes a lot of tests. Um, but it looks like we've got advancements in tests, costs, things like that. So fingers crossed as we go forward. So that's what I've been up to. 
Anyway, what the podcast is up to this week is the NHL. Everett Fitzhugh has been in the news a ton recently because he was announced as a member of the broadcast team for the Seattle Kraken, the newest addition to the NHL coming up next season. Everett Fitzhugh will be the first African-American broadcaster working for a team in the National Hockey League. And I am not a huge hockey guy. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know that. There have been like four hockey guys on in nearly 200 episodes. So I I did not know a ton about Everett before he made national news because I like I'm not a hockey consumer on the reg, um, but when Everett was in the news in the headlines I read up about him uh, I wanted to have him on and talk about his path his journey how he does what he does because I I, I think uh, it's interesting from a lot of the obvious standpoints but I also think his approach is very interesting and we'll, we'll dive into things like why he listens to every broadcaster in the NHL at least twice throughout the course of the season that's one of the things he does to be a better broadcaster he is very diligent at his craft it's one of the reasons why he is on the broadcast team for an NHL franchise with the Seattle Kraken also the Seattle Kraken the greatest name in sports Anybody that knows me knows I love ridiculous names. I think Brandios is the greatest company alive. Uh, Minor League Baseball, the stupider your name, the better. I will buy your merch. And the Seattle Kraken, fan-flipping-tastic. Well done. Release the Kraken. Here is Everett Fitzhugh on Play-By-Play Cast. We start by talking about the obvious, the elephant in the room. Being an African-American working in the NHL. And my question was, one... How big a deal is that to him? But also, two, how big a deal is it to him to be not the African-American broadcaster of the Seattle Kraken, but to be the very talented broadcaster of the Seattle Kraken, who, oh, by the way, happens to be African-American? Here's Everett Fitzhugh. Yeah, um, you know, I I think that to to go to your first question, I mean, it's very... For me, um, I, I think it's a big moment. I, I think it's a big deal. Just personally, um, you know, becoming an NHL broadcaster is something that I've wanted my my entire life. Ever since I was 18 years old, um, doing my first uh, my first broadcast at Bowling Green. But you know, to be able to to achieve this personally here at 31 is fantastic. But to to be able to say that that I'm going to be the first team broadcaster in NHL history it, it is a very special moment. And even though my role hasn't been specifically defined as play-by-play or radio or TV or, or whatever, um, being able to be on that broadcast team and in, in whatever capacity I'll be serving in is, is really, really cool. And for me, I never intended, and I don't think anybody ever really sets out to be a trailblazer. Um, having said that, if there is any way that you can help inspire people and if you can help bring up those behind you, I think you have a responsibility to, to do that and, and um, to take that seriously. Uh, for me, I know there aren't a lot of black faces in media and in and, and hockey media and, and growing up, I didn't have a whole lot of influences. I was very, very lucky uh, to have the likes of, of John Saunders and, and David Amber and uh, Stuart Scott, obviously John Saunders, Stuart Scott passing uh, way before uh, their, their time uh, was over. But um, those were, were my three big influences when it came into sports media um now you have the likes of kevin weeks who is the face of nhl network you have anson carter who's been doing fantastic with nbc sportsnet msg as well in new york mike tarico's called a few games so there are a lot more black faces a lot more minorities a lot more uh different different voices that you can hear from and you can get opinions from and i think that is a really cool a uh, cool way to show the next generation coming up that hockey is for them. And and I was that, that black kid growing up in Detroit who didn't have a lot of, of, of influences when it came to hockey. So now being able to say that um, I could potentially be an influence to someone who may be on the fence about whether or not hockey is for them or, or getting into the media uh, as a black person and hockey is for them. Um, I think it's something pretty special. 
I was going to say, you know, Jason Benetti has been on this podcast before, and he and I go back a long ways, and, and he has talked very openly about, um, you know, growing up with cerebral palsy and how mm-hmm. there is nobody on television that when he was a child he felt looked like him. Um, and he would have, A, loved that, and B, um, wants to be that. Like, he, he, he loves the opportunity to be able to have someone like him see him on television and go, that's possible. Um, has that part resonated with you? Because I know you've told the story plenty of times where, you know, you were watching hockey as a child and said, there's two black players on the ice. Oh, my God, there's two people that look like me. Um, what does that mean to you to, to think that somewhere down the line, someone might see Everett fits you and go, I can do that because he did that? You know, uh, <laughs> I, I, this is the first time, uh, honest to God's truth, this has happened. But as you were saying that, I got goosebumps. Uh, you know, being able to to be that person to a kid, I mean, that is, that's why we do this, right? Um, I, I always liken my my path and my industry, broadcasting, working in minor league sports. I always liken it to teaching. You don't do it for the money. You, you know, you, you become a teacher because you're passionate about educating. You're passionate about mentoring and molding young minds. Um, I don't do this for the money. I do it because I genuinely love broadcasting. I love PR. I, I love working in hockey. And for me to be able to to share that love with someone and for me to be able to um, have somebody look up to me and, and say, man, I, I, I didn't know this was possible until I saw you do it. Um, that, that is something that um, I, I hope does happen because I've said this many times, I really, I don't want to be, and I don't intend on being the only black broadcaster. I don't, right. I don't want to, I don't intend on being the, the only one for a while. Um, I really, really hope that there is some kid right now who's clicking on my heels that I haven't even met yet. I don't know yet who is about to break in, um, in the play-by-play world, in the reporting world, uh, in the broadcasting world that I, I have no idea who they are. Um, for me, I think it's so important to to help diversify the game of hockey at all levels. We're seeing a lot more uh, black players. You know, we've got a few black coaches now in the NHL. Um, it's about time for, for that to extend into the front office. And, and I think that is the really cool thing that Seattle is trying to do. Um, over the past couple of years, the NHL, I think, has done a good job. They've made some good starts and some good strides in terms of embracing their diversity, in terms of uh, fostering racial and gender diversity within the sport and um, being in Seattle where you've got, you know, north of 40, 45% of your entire front office is female or people of color. Uh, 54% of the Kraken executive vice presidents are female. So um, really leading the charge. And, and I think I've said it before and, and forgive me if it's a little bit harsh, but I think Seattle's putting the rest of the league on notice saying that, this is this is how it needs to be done our game is no longer um that quote-unquote old boys club or the predominantly white sport as as many people have known it um and we as the kraken we as an organization we're trying to to really embody and really um live by that moniker of of hockey is for everyone and, and anyone can play this game become fans of this game enjoy this game i uh growing up in detroit it was hockey town so i was predisposed to hockey but i still wasn't a hockey fan until i saw mike greer and george the rock playing for the oilers that one night so um you never know what will get someone to like something you, you never know what's going to be that catalyst what that reason will be and, and if i can serve as that catalyst if i can serve as that reason for someone who wants to get into broadcasting or someone who just generally wants to try hockey and be a hockey fan i'm all for that so why hockey for you like i, I know you were at bowling green and you you did color um i think it was was it your freshman year yes, um, yes. and got hooked what happened? Yeah. Like what? What clicked that day? Where you? I mean, like you, you weren't even calling play-by-play of it. Um, like, what, what said? What, what said to you? I need to be doing more of this. 
Um, I think selfishly, it was opportunity. Um, when I was in school, I was a part of the Bowling Green Radio Sports Organization. Um, and we had a really good crop of broadcasters. I mean, they're probably from that, you know, I, I got to, to Bowling Green in 2006. So if we go back to maybe 04, so from 04 to 2009, um, 2010, I mean, there's probably six, eight guys who either work in broadcasting, still are in broadcasting, have worked in broadcasting in some capacity um, professionally, be it minor league, be it pro uh, major league level at, at whatever sport. So we had a really, really talented group of people. Everybody wanted to do basketball and football. Those, those are the sexy sports, right? Everybody wants to to be Marv Alberts and, and Kevin Harlan and uh, Joe Buck. Everybody wants to be that guy. But for me, there was only a few hockey broadcasters, not a lot of interest in doing hockey. So um, I'd been pushing buttons and I'd been doing uh, intermission reports and producing and board hopping. And, you know, I wanted to try my hand at getting on the air. So um, there's a a hockey game that was opening up and nobody wanted to do it. So I figured, well, I know enough to be dangerous. So let me, uh, <laughs> let me try this out. And um, I, like you said, I was hooked, man. It was um, seeing a hockey game from that perspective, from the press box perspective in a working capacity. I always knew that I wanted to work in sports. I just never knew what I wanted to do. Um, growing up, play-by-play -play wasn't even an option. Like, I, I didn't even know that was an option, I should say. Um, I was going to be Stuart Scott. Like, I, I was I was going to be sitting on uh, on a sports center desk here in, in 20 years in, uh, in Bristol. But I, I didn't know that play-by-play -play was an avenue. Um, so when I did that first game as a color analyst, I just fell in love with it. The, the, the view of the game is different from the press box. The professionalism of hockey, um, that, that uh, buzz you get when you're on the air. And, and it was something that I, I really, really enjoyed. And, and I remember so many emotions just going through during that game. And I called my mom right after either that night or maybe the next morning. I said, so that was pretty fun. Um, <laughs> Um, we're going to be putting all of our eggs in the hockey basket from now on. Uh, so I don't know if she had any big plans of me becoming president or becoming a doctor or a lawyer or anything, but uh, she got a play-by-play -play broadcaster and she's been so happy and so supportive throughout the whole thing. So, um, but no, that, that was it, man. It, it was by accident. I, I, I wanted more opportunity. And then after that game, I, you know, I did a few basketball games here or there. I tried my hand at baseball, which I really, really enjoyed. Um, but hockey was for me and I knew hockey was for me. And at the time, I didn't even know that there were no black broadcasters. There was actually one. Uh, his name was Mike Lockard. He passed uh, tragically in 2009, uh, but he was the broadcaster for Notre Dame at the time. So I'd met him a couple of times, and he was a really good inspiration for me until he passed um, as, at the time, the only black play-by-play -play guy in hockey. So I learned a lot from him in, in our brief relationship and our brief conversations that we had. So um, he was another one that really uh, kind of – help me drive the stake and in, into this hockey dream and um to stick with it so it was uh it, it was it was by accident and and I'm, I'm happy that it was uh that that it's gotten me as far as it has so define uh putting all your eggs in the hockey basket like what did that mean how did you how did you go about it and how did you say i'm gonna i'm gonna get good i'm gonna excel here you know, for me, it, it meant um, forsaking all other opportunities. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I wanted to, to be a broadcaster, and, and and my mom and I, you know, we actually we, we had some 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 arguments and some discussions. You know, she wanted me to do more basketball and football and all that kind of stuff. And you know, I I told her I said, listen, I'll I really enjoy hockey. This is what I want to do, and if I want to to if I want to become the best, I have to get as many reps as possible. It's like playing um, and, and she understood and she got it. And, um, you know, I, I, was a primary color analyst for two years at BG. I did high school hockey play-by-play. -play. That high school play-by-play -play tape actually served as my demo to, to help me land a Division One job. So um, once I got the 
play-by-play job my senior year. I was a fifth-year senior, so my fourth year in college. Once I was named play-by-play announcer to Bowling Green, um, that's when I think it hit me that, you know, you've been specializing now for three years. Um, you better make this work. Like, th- there's no going back here. So um, I knew that I, that hockey at that time, and obviously still today, I knew that hockey was was the career path for me. Um, I hoped it was broadcasting. And as I got going in my career, you know, I, I, I had to do a lot of PR stuff. And mm. um, I fell in love with that side of it, too. So there, there, I was very fortunate in the USHL League office. There was no play-by-play. I had to learn how to write press releases. I had to learn social media. I had to learn how to run events. And it was it was that PR um, arm that I learned. It was those PR skills that I got uh, that ultimately I helped me get the, the job in Cincinnati and then now the job in Seattle. So, you know, I, I knew that it was going to be a difficult road. I knew that um, it was going to be something that was going to take a lot of time, a lot of sacrifice, but man, I, I just, I loved it so much. I still love it so much. And, and it sounds very cliche. And I think a lot of your listeners may roll their eyes, but um, I've never worked a day in my life. You know, the, the, this isn't, this isn't a job. This is fun for me. Um, so I, I just, I loved it that much that I was willing to sacrifice and, and, and live poor in Chicago and live poor in Youngstown and travel all over the, the, the Midwest to, to make this happen. Well, let's talk about the fun aspect of it, because the picture of you that has circulated, I think, most on the Internet (laughs) looks like you're about to fight the Kraken. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Walk me through what calling a game is like and and how that emotion um, comes through your product on the air. You know, I've never been quiet. You can ask anyone who knows me. I've never been a quiet person. Um, I've always, I've always put a lot of passion. I've always put a lot of volume. I've always put a lot of, uh, of, of emphasis into my broadcasts. And it's something that I take a lot of pride in. And, um, you know, it's, it's something about being on the air. I mean, you listen to, to actors and you listen to, to people on TV. And then when that red light comes on, it's, 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 it's an entirely different ball game. It's an entirely different uh, vibe and feeling. And it's the same thing. When I put the headset on, it's, it's, it's almost as if you transform into a different person. Luckily, I'd like to think that I'm the same person on the air as I am off the air. And a lot of people can attest to that. And a lot of people, uh, a lot of folks say that I have a broadcasting voice and a regular voice. I don't, ever see it but apparently i've got two voices so um but but i just i love to have fun man i don't i take my job very seriously i take what i do very seriously but i don't really i don't i don't take myself too seriously i like to have fun with it um i haven't had a color analyst the last five years in cincinnati so it's just been you know one three hour you know one man show four days a week so um it's it, it's an ability for me to to talk to the listener and to to showcase my personality to uh, showcase my my knowledge of of hockey and and the ECHL and the Cyclones obviously and and, and all the things that um, that go into it. So it, it's it's just. It, like I said, you, you transform when you're on the air, and it's just something about being in that live environment that that kind of clicks with me and it clicks with a lot of people that i know and um again to be able to to get paid to do this to be able to do this professionally i feel like i'm stealing um (laughs) you know it's it's just it's just a lot of fun and and it is it is something that i never in my wildest dreams, I mean, it's always been the goal. It's always been the plan to, to get to this point. But even when it happens, you still are like, I never thought this was going to happen. I never would have imagined it would have happened the way that it did. The path that I took to get here never could have imagined this. You told me 20 years ago, Havert, you're going to be, um, you know, the first team broadcaster for an NHL franchise. I would have been I would have I would have looked at you like you had seven heads. You know <laughs> what I mean? So uh, it, it, it's really, really amazing to see the path that I've taken 
ultimately end up here. This is where like you're gonna have to educate me a little bit because I'm like I'm not a hockey person in the slightest. Some people listening to this are gonna are gonna be like Joel. This is a ridiculous question, um, <laughs> but but I like I, I've always wondered how like the hockey system works. I've never fully wrapped my head around it. Um, mm-hmm. I I know junior hockey is involved somehow, uh, and, and I know you did that in Youngstown. Yeah. Um. What is what what is like what's it like being on the junior hockey circuit? Is that, is it, is it kind of like doing a minor league baseball tour or, or I like I, I don't like, what are you thinking as you're broadcasting on the, on the junior level and, and cutting your chops um, to get to Cincinnati where you've been the last five years? Yeah. Um, I, the, the best way that I can describe it for your listeners would be junior hockey is a lot like, high school football in Texas mixed with AAU basketball. Okay. So you, depending on where you live, you can't find high school hockey at a high level outside of Minnesota, some places in Michigan, and then a few prep schools out East. Other than that, I mean, if you go to, you know, regular old, you know, Bob, Bob Jones high school, um, probably not going to have a hockey team. So if you want to play hockey at a high level, if you want to go play NCAA hockey, if you want to have an opportunity to go to the NHL, um, you go play junior hockey. So what that means is at uh, 15, 16 years old, 17 years old, you'll leave home. Uh, you'll go to one of, uh, you know, 12 different markets in the USHL. You have the likes of Waterloo, Iowa, Muskegon, Michigan, Youngstown, Madison, Wisconsin, um, Lincoln, Omaha, Nebraska, places like that. Um, and you play, uh, you play hockey. You live with the host family, with the billet family there. And you play, uh, we played 64 games when I was in the USHL all on the weekends. Uh, so if you're still in school, uh, you go to school during the day. Um, and then you'll, whatever your games are, you'll leave the day before Thursday, you'll leave Friday, whatever. Um, and then you'll play, you'll come back and then you're back in class on Monday. Um, we do have some overagers in those leagues. So if you're 18, 19, 20, uh, you age out at 20 years old, uh, you have to get a job. So you'll work, uh, or some kids will be committed to college, but, um, maybe need one more year of junior hockey so they can either take classes that will, um, apply to Michigan, Notre Dame, North Dakota, wherever they decide to go, um, or they'll have uh, have a job working to make some money. So you have to do something. Um, so it was it's a lot like minor league baseball. Okay. You, you travel you travel around and um, you you play games and and you're you're getting better. And um, again, it's 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 an advanced level of youth hockey. And a lot of times you'll see twenty. 21 year old college freshman because they played four or five years of junior hockey and uh it took them a while to get a college commit but they finally got that ncaa division one commitment and you know they're 20 years old 21 years old that's fine they just want an opportunity uh to play hockey that's wild okay i didn't thank you for helping with that yeah because <laughs> I, I always wonder i looked at that i was like there's a full-time job with a like youth sports program. Oh yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's the best, uh, hockey players in the world in or the best hockey players in America ages 16 to 20. Okay. Go play junior hockey, USHL, NAHL, North American Hockey League. Um, a lot of the top talent, a lot of the the Sidney Crosby's and the Connor McDavid's, uh, they'll go play what's called major junior. So the Ontario Hockey League, Western Hockey League, the Quebec League. Uh, the difference between the CHL, that all three of those leagues are in the Canadian Hockey League. The difference between the Canadian Hockey League and then the junior leagues here in the States is that if you play hockey here, you maintain your NCAA eligibility. So if you wanted to go play college hockey at a big school, Minnesota, Wisconsin, uh, like I said, Michigan, North Dakota, places like that, you'll go to a USHL school or a USHL team. But if you're Sidney Crosby and if you're a guaranteed number one overall pick, a lot of those kids just go play major junior and then they'll sign their first NHL contracts at 19 years old, 20 years old, whatever the case may be. 
Gotcha. Now that I've uh, torpedoed any chance of me ever broadcasting hockey in the future, um, for anybody that listens to this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, not necessarily. Not necessarily. I mean, again, you'd be surprised, man. You'd be surprised the, the different avenues and the different lanes you can take to get somewhere. What was your education process on hockey? I mean, obviously you had you had been a fan of it growing up, but when yeah. you decided I'm all in on this, um, having not played, I mean, I know I say that like, I mean, but youth-wise, like we all dabble in baseball, basketball. Yeah. We know enough to be dangerous. Um, mm-hmm. What did you do to become an, an expert on hockey? Like what kind of conversations did you have and how did you embark on saying, I'm going to I'm going to make up ground because I'm all in here? You know, I, I just played or I just watched rather. Um, I, I watched the game every weekend. I watched Hockey Night in Canada, every Red Wings game I watched that I that I could find. Um, I, I just started to study the game um, when I was in high school up in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. I was very, very fortunate um, that the uh, U.S. National Team Development Program, the NTDP, is based out of Ann Arbor. So we had kids on, um, you know, the development team in my high school. Uh-huh. I actually had a couple of kids who were in classes with me. Uh, one of them, Jamie McBain, played um, pro hockey. He played in the NHL for, for a cup of coffee. Uh, Mike Ratchuk as well. Um, another good friend of mine who who played um, for the NCDP he was actually here in Cincy for a year when I first got here. I was able to pick their brains and talk to them a little bit about hockey. I learned the game through them a little bit, but a lot of it was just watching. A lot of it was reading the sports pages every day, um, reading the articles, finding out what icing was and what a power play was and things like that. And And then when I got to college and started uh, broadcasting, for Bowling Green, um, you know, I, I talked to the coaches. I got to know the coaches pretty well. And once again, uh, with me being a sports management major, I had a lot of classes with um, a lot of athletes on campus. And luckily, I had a few hockey players in my classes. So I befriended them and, um, you know, said, listen, you know, I, I'm a freshman, but I'm doing broadcasting. I, I'd love to to pick your brain a little bit just about the rules of hockey and, you know, want to learn more. And, you know, they they were more than willing to sit with me in the union and and, and grab a bite to eat and, and talk to me about some things. So um, it, it was all about just asking and, and talking and paying attention to to, to things that you didn't understand. And it's interesting because I played one game of men's league hockey my entire life. So um, I, I've never played hockey before, let alone competitively. Um, how'd, that, so, how'd that game go? Let's see. I won seven face-offs, okay? Um, and that was the first time. That's very that specific ever... recollection, by the way. Yes, very specific <laughs> because that was the only good thing about my performance <laughs> in that game. That uh, was the first time that I'd ever put on hockey pads. I'd never put on gear before. Uh, I took a. I didn't even learn how to ice skate till my my fifth year in college. I was 22 <laughs> years old when I learned how to ice skate. Uh, but I took a class because I had to for my credits. <laughs> so uh, I took a beginning ice skating class, which actually had a couple hockey players in the class. <laughs> that seems. Uh, that seems off. Exactly. Right. <laughs> so, uh, I was already play by play guy for the team and, and, you know, so I was, I was getting my credits in and it was the first time that I ever put on hockey pads. So I, I looked like Bambi just going from blue line to blue line. And it was so fast. Cause like, I was so happy. I finally got to one blue line. Well, darn it. Here comes the puck back the other way. So I got to slowly turn back around. <laughs> I finally make it to the other blue line. Here comes a playback. I was stuck in the neutral zone the entire night. It was, it was hilarious. It was comical. Um, so I got a couple shifts in and then my buddy who was uh, the captain of the men's league team said, all right, all right, you're, you're done. And I was like, Oh, thank Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I will, I will coach the rest of this game. So, um, but yeah, so that, that's my hockey experience, but, uh, just be, becoming a fan and, and, and paying attention and, and watching and talking to people. That's, that's how I learned the game. And still to this day, you know, I'll talk to our coaches and our players and, you know, they, they know a heck of a lot more than I do when it comes to the X's and O's. And when it comes to, to playing, obviously you have an advantage because you've played the game because you've, you know, been in those situations, you've been in locker rooms, you know, what to look for. So it's it's a lot harder for a guy who's never played to to catch up on that stuff. But I mean, if you're willing to learn, that's what's important. <clears throat> Let's talk about learning a little bit from a broadcast yeah. standpoint. Uh, I know you've said in the past that you 
every year try to listen to every broadcaster in the NHL at least twice. Yeah. Um, what's important from that? What have you gained from those 60 nights? You know, I, I think a big thing is what it takes to get and to stay in the NHL. Um, you know, obviously, if you're fans of a certain team, you're going to have your favorites, uh, you know, broadcasters or generational people. You've got, you know, a guy like Rick Jennerette up in Buffalo who's mm-hmm. been there for decades. And, you know, he he is the voice of Buffalo hockey. Uh, me growing up in Detroit, Ernie Harwell, there was nobody better Nobody could call baseball except for Ernie Harwell. And, um, you know, you have a lot of these people who who are just entities in themselves. And um, you realize just how good it it, it, it you have to be and how much it takes to get to the NHL. Um, people have their favorites. There are some guys people don't like. There are some guys I don't like. Um, but I still like to listen to people. And, you know, I, I take a little bit from from guys that I listen to. You know, I try to to take maybe some of their cadences, some of their sayings, um, you know, maybe some of their descriptive abilities. And, and I try to make them my own. So there's a few guys that, like I said, I, I enjoy listening to uh, over others. But I, I love to, to try and listen to everybody at least twice just so I can see what the, you know, what the going themes are in the NHL, what it takes to get there, what, um, you know, how they're doing it. And and during this whole process, it's been amazing. I've had a number of, of NHL broadcasters that I've been listening to for years, reach out to me unsolicited, you know, welcoming me to the NHL, offering their phone numbers. If you need anything, don't hesitate to reach out. I've had a couple of conversations already um, with, with a handful of, of NHL broadcasters and it's it's been really really cool to see um these guys because even though i work in hockey and even though i've i've been very fortunate to meet players and coaches and broadcasters you still kind of get that um that that starstruck moment a bit when oh man i've been listening to you call hockey games for the last However many years, you know, you can still be a fan. You just can't let your fandom show, but you can still be a fan at this level and being able to to get words of encouragement and to be able to speak with, you know, guys that that you've been listening to for four years is really, really cool. And um, it, it's been really special to, to have that happen these past few days. I would say that you'd probably be starstruck if somebody like Mike Emmerich reached out to you. But I also know that he uh, recommended you in Seattle. So I, I imagine that you've got a, a previous standing relationship with him. Um, what what does that mean to you? And, and what has he told you in the past that has been really profound? Because I have to imagine there's a wealth of uh, advice that comes out of that. You know, I, I will be completely honest with you. I have, um, so I had no idea Doc even recommended me. Wow. Um, yeah, that when 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 I read that uh, in the article, that was unbeknownst to me. I, I was <laughs> floored. I was like, wait a minute, Doc Emmerich knows who I was, um, you know. But so he is a Bowling Green guy, obviously. Correct. Yeah, that's why they call him Doc. He got his doctorate at Bowling Green. Um, my only experience in person with uh, with Doc Emmerich was back in Bowling Green. I think it was 2009, oh, wow. 2010, maybe. Um, he came back for an alumni weekend. And uh, he emceed a couple of events and and rumors were swirling that I was going to be able to interview him. Um, So, of course, I was I was like, oh, my goodness, this is this is Doc Emmerich. This is the voice of hockey in America. So I'm preparing uh, I'm preparing some interview questions for the. for the intermission and I'd met him earlier in the day and, and he did a couple of, uh, of liners for our radio station. So, you know, he was very disarming. He is a very nice person to speak with. He is, you know, uh, the smartest person I've ever, I've ever talked to when it comes to hockey. And I only had a 10 minute conversation before, um, before the game. So, we're starting the game and the anthem's over and and I see this crowd walking up the steps and in the middle of the crowd is Doc Emmerich. And, you know, I, I'm just thinking, all right, well, he's going to come up and watch the game from the press box. 
I look over and my color analyst takes off uh, his <laughs> his headset and hands it to Doc. And he says, uh, I hear that uh, I'm going to be providing some commentary for you during the first period. And I have to go back and find the tape. I don't think I have it. I think it's probably in the archive at Bowling Green. But I swear my exact words were, uh, you are? Uh, okay, <laughs> great. <laughs> so that's my only experience um, with Doc Emmerich. And he joined me on the broadcast for that first period. And, I mean, that was an amazing opportunity to be able to to say that that Doc Emmerich was, was your color analyst for a period. I don't know too many people um, who can say that. So it was really cool uh, to, to have him, uh, you know, impart his wisdom and, and to share uh, that space and his talents with, with us and our listeners. And I've emailed him throughout the years and, and, he, you know, he's always sent back nice notes and um, things like that. But I, I honestly had no idea that, that he recommended me, but having said that, I mean, Doc Emmerich is the voice of hockey in America and, 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 you know, I've watched and listened to the finals, to the winter classics, to Wednesday night hockey, you know, whatever game he he's on and he's the consummate pro and he's another person that I, I like to take bits and pieces from and, and try to make them my own when it comes to, um, to broadcasting. So to be able to have um, doc uh, give that, um, that recommendation and, and speak highly of me is again, a, a an honor and another humbling um experience and, and just something that I, I never would have thought possible that is a much better story than i was anticipating <laughs> <laughs> true story i gotta go back and find that tape but i am I, I i the way that i remember it i that's exactly what i said and we were on the air when i when he said it so i i i hope that tape is somewhere in uh in the BGSU archive, uh, but I, I'm I'm willing to, to bet some money that that's exactly how it went down. It's a good thing it was clean. Uh, exactly. Oh, <laughs> yes, it was. What I said was clean. What I thought probably <laughs> wasn't. So, <laughs> probably probably very true. Yeah. <laughs> um, what is it about a guy like Doc or listening to any of the other announcers in the league the way that you do um, that? that sticks out um what makes elite hockey um in a broadcast to you um i i think it's it's not only um being technically sound um being knowledgeable obviously about the game and um and 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 things like that but i think it's just listenability and just how easy it is to listen to a game. Um, very, very few guys um, in this world can do what NHL broadcasters do. You have to make a fast paced game that may not have any stoppages, any whistles for 10 minutes. You have to make that easy to understand like a baseball game. You have to make that romantic. You have to make that um, passionate. You have to keep people interested and you have to find ways of towing that line of giving the information, describing what you're seeing, but also having a conversation with someone. Um, the best broadcasters they don't talk at you. They, it's almost like you're talking with them on the air. They are, you know, describing what's going on. But as a listener in your mind, you feel like you can interject and you can talk with them while they're doing that. And, and there are so few broadcasters, I think, who've been able who can do that so well. And, um, you know, that's to me what I think makes a good broadcaster. Um, that's what I listen for. Um, and then also their passion. I mean, it's hockey. Like this is the most exciting game on the planet. Um, you know, it's, you, you have to be live and you have to be up and you have to be excited and, and ready to go. And, and, you know, I, I've come across a lot of broadcasters at multiple levels and, you know, they, they just don't have that excitement and that passion that you'd like to see. And it's one of those things where 
I mean, if you're a hockey fan, you're, you're broadcasting hockey. You're getting paid to do this. Are you kidding me? Like, you know, I, I you better go out there and call every game like it's going to be your last. Like it's going to be game seven of the cup final. You know what I mean? So um, that's that's what I like to look for when, when I'm listening to a broadcaster. And and like I said, you know, I those guys are in those positions in those 31 positions in the NHL for a reason, because they are the best at what they do, love them or hate them. They're the best at what they do. So anytime you can take and you can, and have an opportunity to, to listen and to, to glean any kind of experience or or any kind of knowledge from them, it's an opportunity that you have to take. Yeah. I was going to say hockey is, more so than any of the major sports i i feel like you know people say baseball is hard to broadcast because of the dead time i I would feel like hockey is equally if not more difficult because there is no dead time um Mm -hmm. and the the amount of on that you have to be is incredible yeah um you know i've i've done both and and honestly baseball for me, baseball is harder than hockey because there's so much dead time. Um, you know, you that just means you're really good at hockey. Yeah, well, big there it is. Exactly, I, I can fill, I can fill all that space. Um, you know, with, with with baseball, I think the amount of stories and the amount of just you know, trivia knowledge that you have to have is mind blowing. And again, I've listened to to tons of baseball broadcasters and, and, and what they're able to do having a, a three hour conversation. Uh, I feel bad for you on double headers being <laughs> able to have a seven and a half hour conversation um, at the minor league level with yourself. Uh, I think that's a, that's a, a certain kind of special, but in, in hockey, you know, it, it is difficult because it does move so fast. You switch gears so much. And I think that's what makes it difficult. Not a lot of people know the rules of hockey either. So trying to explain the rules of hockey and trying to educate people while they're listening without being condescending. Because do it, you have to do a lot of that? And, and, and what's towing that line like to not turn off the people that actually know what they're listening to? You know, so for, for me, um, if I, it it all depends on, I think the audience. So for instance, here in Cincinnati, this is a very, uh, non-traditional hockey market. Um, this is a football market. This is a basketball market. So maybe sometimes I'll throw in, um, some, some phrases that aren't hockey phrases. Maybe I'll use full court press or, uh, the Cyclones have have scored seven goals a couple times. So in my goal call, I'll, I'll I'll say touchdown Cyclones or (laughs) just, just something like that, just to get people into it. And, um, you know, but again, that said, Cyclones fans, the ones that we do have, our diehard fans, are educated hockey fans. People forget that Columbus is two hours up the road. So yeah. there are a lot of Blue Jackets fans here. So, you know, you can't go out there and explain what icing is every single time. But if ever there's any new rules that have been introduced or if there's ever something quirky that happens during a game, and we've had plenty of quirky things that have happened uh, during games, you can explain. Uh, explain them that way so you know there is that fine line of being uh, of educating but also you know not being condescending and um, I think that I I like to think that I I toe that line pretty well and um, you know I've, I've gotten positive feedback from folks who say that you know it's easy to listen to a game I understand what's going on but you don't make me feel dumb while doing it so uh, for me that's that's a huge compliment because that means that uh, this person thinks I'm easy to listen to and I'm enjoyable to listen to will you say release the Kraken oh come on now that's the that's the low-hanging fruit like, yeah I'm, I'm just yeah I just I didn't know if that was like, <laughs> if that was I too easy or like that's it, it's it's right there for you man it's right so there the first for time you. they take the ice I would have like if they don't play that in arena I feel like that's a missed opportunity I you know what I'm going to I'm going to see if we can campaign to get uh Liam Neeson to record a special version of that for us. We'll see if I can. Uh, you, you might be. I mean, it's the NHL. It's not like <laughs> you never know, right? You never, never know. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously release the Kraken is, is going to be one of the, the the phrases that I try to 
to to turn around and and make my own and um you know obviously you know whatever role my my it is with uh, my role will be with the team you know mm-hmm. we're still trying to figure out broadcasting deals and all of that so um you know if, if it's play by play if it's radio if it's tv if it's a host or if it's now what whatever my role is within this organization i can promise you release the kraken will be said <laughs> uh, on more than one occasion the first night <laughs> <laughs> that's I, i'm glad we have that on tape the, there you go there you go you can hold me you can hold me to that <laughs> uh, everett if people want to follow you get more information about you learn more about you how do they find you on social media and the like yeah i'm, I'm very active on twitter at the voice fits f-i-t-z so follow me there i'm not on instagram but both uh, my fiance and my future sister-in-law are are campaigning hard for me to get an Instagram. So I think there may be uh, uh, an Everett fits you Instagram coming soon. I, I haven't, I don't take a lot of pictures. I don't, I'm a kind of a, a private guy. Um, so if anything, I would be on Instagram to lurk, but uh, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I love, you know, I, we, I, I'm, I have the Cyclones Instagram on my phone and, and I love going through and seeing what other teams are doing and, and following our players and things like that. But maybe I will make a, make my own Instagram. I never thought I was interesting enough to follow on Insta, but, uh, but yeah, no Twitter is going to be your best bet to follow me. I'm pretty active on there. I like to think that I'm funny. Um, so feel free to toss me a couple of pity likes and a few pity laughs and we'll, we'll get along just fine. All right, that's Everett Fitzhugh joining us here on Play by Playcast. I didn't say this in the open, by the way. Hashtag Maction, Bowling Green State University. Uh, he is a member of the MAC, a proud product of the MAC, although from a hockey standpoint, not the MAC because the MAC doesn't have hockey, but uh, MAC school. So uh, hashtag Maction for Everett Fitzhugh. And when he was hired, Bowling Green actually tweeted out some stuff. Um, about him some congratulations i think there was a video message that that they did as well so uh good for the mac to uh, to have a guy broadcasting in the nhl now as well super down-to-earth guy loved that conversation uh follow everett fits you and listen to the broadcasts when the seattle kraken hit the ice coming up uh later this year or in 2021 whenever the season rolls around many thanks to everett for joining us my name is joel Gadet. the music is marshmallow and we are out. And that will do it from St. Louis, where the score is inconclusive.